This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufall and Stephen Mareska. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufall, joined today by Steve Mareska and Matt Fasauer, as always. Hey, guys. Hey. How you doing? Uh, you, I think people can tell it's a, we're trying to be a little more lighthearted already with this one. Uh, I'm the, trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, stealing pens and, and rolling into it. Um, so this episode, right, focusing on really sort of the important news that we're seeing uh, in the security industry, uh, cover a little bit about you know really what sort of clients seem to be asking for recently. Um, so you know a little bit a little bit more lighthearted than a couple of the other episodes I think I feel like we've recorded recently. Um, yeah, you know, I think we could start really with you know sort of big news, right? The the acquisition of Mandiant by Google. I think it's I think it's Google's second largest acquisition in their history for, for the paltry sum of 5.4 billion dollars <laughs> which is you know pocket change pocket change mm-hmm. uh, but what but what are they buying and, and you know what value does it have to google oh whatever it is it's beta now <laughs> it definitely <laughs> is beta <laughs> oh man do you think Mandiant's now in beta forever or it will just disappear yeah, yeah that, that too without could warning just be well i mean actually is is google docs and all is that still in beta or is that a legitimate product that, that might be out of beta i think I it's out know. of beta who, who's to say? It doesn't matter, but it works. At, right? At any rate. Uh, Is it, but will it be more secure now moving forward? That's hypothetically the play. Uh, so Google acquired uh, or announced a deal to acquire Mandiant for $5.4 billion, which, you know, if anybody's familiar, not familiar with the name, you might have heard FireEye instead, which is really the corporate entity. Um, the goal is to really acquire the company and all of its capabilities to support Google Cloud, or at least that's what the the newswire suggests. Ultimately, this is consistent with a lot that Google does. Um, if you've heard of VirusTotal, if you've heard of uh, Project Zero, you know, the, Google has a lot of investment, even if it doesn't improve their bottom line in security research in general. And philosophically, they make acquisitions that help protect, selfishly protect Google infrastructure. In this case, they're you know, trying to straddle the line between their own stuff and their customers. Uh, so they're trying to differentiate a little bit relative to Azure and to yeah. Amazon. Yeah. So influential in the, co- in the cloud computing space. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I think there'll have to be actual products coming out of this that are now Google branded. It, it might still be things that Mandiant has always done, but yeah, they'll, they'll either be repackaged inside of GCP or something like that that is accessible in that consumption model they have. I'm, I'm a little interested. Uh, I, Matt, you might be too. We know from our own history that Mandiant and FireEye have some real expertise in-house with respect to memory analysis and hypervisors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if they're acquiring this to some degree to bolster Google Cloud, that might produce some really profoundly interesting stuff near due to our hearts. But, you know, time will tell. Um, I mean, that feels like enough probably there, right? Let that develop more, see what actually comes of it. The... Uh, Another recent bit of news, I think, is you know CISA and the announcement. I think you know what 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 struck a chord for me probably was uh, the the more stringent reporting requirements for a larger, I'll say, for a larger set of businesses than we've traditionally seen. So uh, yeah, and there's certainly more to it, but I think that's going to impact everybody. Yeah. So CISA is uh, so as part of this was strengthening strengthening American Cybersecurity Act. Um, I think that got pushed into the one and a half trillion dollar spending bill that recently, I believe, is yeah, that now number sounds right. Pushed through. Um, 
could be wrong on whether it's actually voted in or not. I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. It's been signed. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as part of that whole package, uh, they now have uh, reporting requirements uh, to support covered entities, right? So, covered entities for them would be um, critical infrastructure. So, if you're any type of that, uh, you're going to be under this. So, energy, chemical, uh, financial services, dams, manufacturing in some areas. Um, even information technology, right? So that they have some broad terms, I think, on purpose, and I think they're going to try and broaden that even more to have a 72-hour requirement to report any type of cyber attacks that happen, uh, any ransomware payments that happen, uh, and they're, they're looking for details on it too. Yeah, sure. well, I think if, if if there is ransomware payments, they've shortened that to 24 hours. So uh, I think that's even a shorter time requirement. Yeah, so I'm not sure if it's uh, if they've – Taking that down. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. So, yeah, 24 hours within the time of the payment. So, I guess right. 72 hours of the incident, 24 hours within the time frame of the payment. They want to know, you know where you sent it, how much you've sent. Um, and as far as the incident's concerned, they're going to want to know what happened, uh, what you have in place uh, to prevent it from happening. Uh, if you had vulnerabilities that were exploited, you're going to have to report on those things. Um and if you know anything about the actor, they want that information, right? So this serves a couple of purposes. On, on one hand, you know, the 72-hour time frame makes this consistent with GDPR reporting uh, timelines, which is quite interesting to me. It's consistency on an international level uh, for anything in right. the EU and U.S. sphere. Uh, but you're right, Matt, that it has a, a lot to do with situational awareness to help U.S. defenses feeding information from the actual private sector up into DHS and CISA just to help disseminate that information to better defend everyone. Yeah, it, there was a lot of uh, controversy around this too because the, the FBI really wanted to be in the reporting path of this. They're not, right? Um, so we'll see how that develops. I and mean, my guess is if the FBI wants it at some point, they're going to get it. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, I guess that kind of leads me to, you know, what happens if, if you don't, Right. Um, so far, it's kind of a slap on the wrist. Uh, hey, you should have done that. Uh, what they're saying is is that they they have the ability to subpoena you if you don't report to them. It's a bit of a process, so my guess here is that it's going to have to be you know worth the effort for them to go out and subpoena you for that information. Um, I'd watch out for that becoming a little bit more strict. You know, financial fines on top of that. So, but we'll see how that develops. But I'd say it. Be prepared to start reporting this type of information and find out, quite frankly, if you're a covered entity under right. this act or not. Well, and it, it, I mean, it's just another example of the security space becoming more formalized, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, we, we've seen this evolution over the years. Uh, there's a variety of drivers, right? We spoke a little bit in the past about cyber liability insurance and insurance carriers sort of making companies be more formal. Certainly GDPR, right, and some of the regulatory requirements. In, in certain ways, you know, from my standpoint, it, it simplifies some of the incident response work that we do and standardizes the reporting a little bit more. Um, you know, we, we, we always talk about reporting early on in incidents, you know, th this clearly makes that even more front and center. Um, and then, you know, to your point, if you're going to report, the questions are going to be, you know, what type of security program do you actually have in place? And are, are you tracking, you know, ongoing improvements in, you know, the gaps that you have, right? So you really do need to have some, you know, written security plans in place. You need to have an understanding of where your vulnerabilities are and, and, and demonstrable evidence that you're making sort of progress against that. I, I think this will be a bit of a shock to the system for organizations that have not been 
historically prepared, um, which, you know, is uh, sort of atypically true on the international sphere for U.S. companies because there hasn't been a regulatory environment that actually mandates this sort of thing. Uh, there will be a net improvement, but uh, my expectation is that many orgs will spend a fair amount of time simply trying to understand what to do appropriately without a lot of internal familiarity with those requirements. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think to Matt's point, though, right, it, there's not probably – there's not going to be a huge penalty right out of the gate. I think this does standardize some of the requirements a little bit. And I think if you're making that good faith effort, uh, I don't think that there's going to be huge penalties as a result, right? So it, yeah, for sure, there's going to be some overhead for companies as they mature into this. But just being aware of the issues, I think, is important. I mean, speaking from actual experience in reporting things to CISA and, and federal reporting bodies for information disclosures, they absolutely behave appropriately. If it's an accidental disclosure, if it's a small incident, they simply say thank you and then move on and close the case. They're not trying to make, you know, something onerous that's honestly reported because right. that would right. discourage right. everything. Right. I mean, I, th I think there's going to be a little legal battle on this one uh, only because they, they do say the word solely a lot in their language uh, when they're talking about whether this information can be used in like a court or something like that. Um that what what they're saying is they can't solely use the report, right? But that means that it could be part of uh, evidence of investigation, right? So I'm sure that'll get battled out a little bit. We'll actually, we'll probably have to wait and see if there's any actual court cases that give some precedence on this one. But to, to watch out for it. I think you're probably gonna be hearing more and more from uh, from CISA uh, over the next year or two. Yeah, for sure. So transitioning then from the new requirements to report to maybe a, a company that recently uh, may have been a victim of, a, of an attack group called Lapsus, uh, Okta. Uh, you know, did they report soon enough? Do we have enough information about that? I mean, you know, that, I think that that's something that has people on alert, certainly given their, their relevance in that authentication space. So uh, for those who aren't familiar, Okta is a company that deals a lot with identity federation, identity management, and the first thing that they really did well uh, was multi-factor, uh, among other things. But that is the particular case here. It has to do with, you know, defending logins and making sure that people who are who they say they are. Reasonable preamble. Point is that they help companies defend their own equipment. Mm. I think it's, it's ironic that they're they're a zero trust company now. <laughs> uh, trust no one except when we have a cyber incident <laughs> right right so you know the hack though you know the the information that came out is you know okta as a company wasn't hacked but it was the data that they had on their clients perhaps that was that was a I component of it so, i think some of that's still coming out yeah um, without a doubt developing yeah yeah still I mean, as of this recording we still haven't gotten an official statement from okta they haven't put one out yet yeah, you know, we we're really finding out a lot about this this morning. Um, that there was an incident back in January with a, a third party subprocessor, I think is what they've they've said so far. Um, which sure it may not have been one of their ordained people, but it may still have been their systems. So it, it it's it's really difficult to know. You know, if you put yourself in Octo's shoes, right? They want as much information as they can to release so that they can reduce the amount of questions that people have and. You know, two months seems like a long time when you when you sort of throw out you know say mid January ish to now, um, 
was there an opportunity before this maybe to to disclose this information right i mean they're they're a really important player in you know that authentication space right to be really general about it and it's not it's not a small vendor it's not somebody that people don't have basically you know the bulk of their infrastructure tied to when they use this product it it feels like it should come out earlier yeah, I mean, is that critical infrastructure these days? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think there's that's interesting. It feels like it. Yeah. There's an argument to me being for that, but uh, unless compelled to report, like our private uh, previous subject, the the reflex is to treat it as a PR exercise to right. minimize negative impact no and paint the rosiest picture. They are inherently at odds with one another, and it's why we've seen companies be a bit reticent. Now, they may legitimately be operating without full understanding. We need to give them the benefit of that. And I, and I expect they probably right. are. Uh, but there are certainly uh, other examples of, of vendors that mm, could have alerted sooner, you know, blackboard uh, yeah. at some time yeah. in the past. It, the point is there is a conflict there in preserving the company's reputation and delivering good information without painting a, a poor picture. And, you know, Potential victims want information as soon as it's possibly available, and it might not be. I, yeah, I, I just think you know, trust comes as a result of transparency. And, and in my opinion, even if you don't have all the details, I think getting information out as soon as you can, I think, I think is valuable and is often well-received. And I get that, that that means a lot of work for Okta, you know, fielding questions that they may not have the answers to. So it's, really, it is a, it's a really difficult decision to make. Um, but nowadays – Two months seems like a long time to me, yeah. and, I, and I feel like something should have, you know, a little more information should have come out. So, were there any follow-on effects to this? Other vendors that were effectively exposed as a result of their hack, potentially? You know, I, I haven't seen any of that personally. Uh, I know that there's, you know, as far as what's associated with it, I know there is talk about the possibility of the the Nvidia hack. Um, possibly Bridgestone. There was another one too. I'm trying to remember. Uh, Microsoft recently. Microsoft. Yep. Uh, yeah, actually, that's that's the I think the biggest tie-in is that's the same group just just recently uh, released partial source code for Bing, uh, a couple other services as well. So the the this Lapsus group that um, they're expecting did this is of a lot of interest right now. They're making a lot of noise, <laughs> right? And, and reasonably new is my understanding. Supposedly, true. yeah. Supposedly, yeah. Um. Any follow-ups on there before we segue into, you know, I, I say, you know, there's one thing in particular our clients are talking about that I want to hit on, but. Uh, all I'd say is it's developing. I expect this to make more waves in the next few weeks and uh, it's not going to go away. We'll probably talk about it again. Yep. Um, so you, it, it's kind of interesting because I feel like the last couple of podcasts that we recorded, we talked a little bit about, you know, incident response, how to detect incidents, uh, some of the preambles around tabletops and. All of, I mean, it seems like all of a sudden to me, we've gotten probably a half a dozen dis- discussions over the last couple of the weeks with clients around the need to do tabletops and f- sort of better formalize that. So what is a tabletop exercise? <laughs> uh, so, you know, a tabletop is really running through a an example scenario of a, of an, of a cyber event, in, in our case, in a cyber event, right? But really, it it's, is an exercise to demonstrate staff's competence uh, responding to an incident of some sort. Uh, so we typically do them for, you know, ransomware attacks, um, insider threat, right? Uh, Technology-based uh, attacks to some degree, trying to understand what the what the staff's response might be around that. Um, 
it's it's great in my opinion that we're having these conversations because it does exhibit more interest in being prepared before an incident or an emergency happens. Uh, too often we're called in when something actually bad has already happened and we're there to sort of mop up a mess. Uh, I, I think they're great conversations. It, it, we performed a couple even. It's one of those things where, you know, you build a plan. It should not be expected to survive an actual first contact with a true right. incident because right. yeah, it's test your, your plan. Yeah, it's a best effort at that time. But until you've gone through the motion in a real world event or simulated, you, you frankly don't know where the holes are. And contrived incidents, uh, contrived incidents are certainly, you know, artificial in the name, I suppose, but they still are realistic enough, especially with the right participants, that you can derive real value. Lessons coming out of them might improve your planning, might improve the people that need to be involved, that, that sort of thing. I mean, we, I think the important thing to know about tabletop exercises is that they can be very simple in that the, your key technical staff is at a conference. They're not reachable because it's in a different time zone. You have a major issue. What do you do? And walking through that from a communication standpoint, from a triage standpoint, all of that in absence of people who are hypothetically your go-tos, you know, you get some really important outcomes from simply thinking about it like that. That's just a, a simple example. Yeah, that's a good point too, Steve, is that uh, you don't have to make complicated um, uh, examples that you're trying to walk through, right? And it'll help you do them more often too if you keep them a little simpler. Really, the goal here is to develop some muscle memory when an incident happens, right? So that you know, um, you know what you've got to do when something happens, what your role is, what everyone else's role is, and instead of trying to figure that all out on the fly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I feel like we've seen, we've had enough conversations just in the last few weeks that you know, doing a dedicated episode on tabletops and you know, running through them and what these things might actually look like, and frankly, how much time you need to dedicate and what some of the outcomes might be would would be worthwhile. So I think we'll look to do that uh, probably upcoming. So, so what sort of organization would be well-primed for a tabletop exercise, just as a, a closing thought? Because we'll get into that another time. But Ooh, So that I was almost going to say what organization wouldn't be. Uh, certainly, you know, we do a lot of work in higher ed, manufacturing, some healthcare. Every single one of them, I think, has, has value there. I'm thinking more about maturity. Like you've already made a plan. You, you've yeah. identified maybe the steps and the people involved and you want to test it. You know, yeah, you have so, some minimum level of preparation involved. Right? Yeah. So, you know what I think I'm going to say, everybody who's listening to this, tune into the upcoming episode where we'll talk about that a little bit more. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it really, it's more a question of how do you, how do you develop your simulation? And I think you develop that simulation based on the maturity of the organization. That'd be, that'll be my short answer. We can spend more time on that in the future, but um so I think, you know, in closing, you know, covered a few things. Certainly, we want to keep an eye on that Okta situation, right? Um, understanding the notification requirements that CIS has, has imposed, I think, is certainly valuable. Um, you know, another acquisition, I guess, on the Google space. People can watch that if they want to. But, uh, you know, as always, you know, we, we do hope you got some value out of today's discussion. I think a lot of good information. Uh, if you'd like to follow up with anything that we spoke about, feel free to reach out to us on uh, LinkedIn at Vancord. Um, suggest any future topics. We're happy to cover them. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Matt, Steve, thanks for joining today. Stay vigilant. Stay resilient. This has been Cybersound.